Hi, and welcome to the Greatest Music Podcast, where we listen to ours and other people's favorite music, songs, selections, dance numbers, discotheque beats, or groovy house funk dance in an attempt to beat back the nostalgia monster, warm fuzzies, and the man to find the greatest music of all time. My name's Ian. And I'm Andy. And this is the Greatest Music Podcast. Okay, Andy. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor, grow up to be on the greatest music podcast? The $10 founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder. <laughs> by being a son. That is a lot harder, it a is. lot smarter, being a self-starter by 2014 Lin-Manuel, Min, Lin-Manuel, <laughs> I can never say his name, man, yeah. wrote a musical about him. Damn mm. right. <laughs> but it's not the first musical, right? The first one was actually written in 1917 by Mary Hamlin. She actually wrote the first Hamilton musical. Did you know that? I knew there was another one that he had referenced, uh, but it was it was a musical. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. He, musical. I thought he referenced one from the '30s that was a, a play. Mm, maybe I didn't read about that. Hmm. I know he structured a lot of it off of uh, stealing some of the ideas from Les Mis. Yeah, not a bad idea when you're referencing one of what many people believe the greatest musicals of all time. Probably leads to some good ideas. But our buddy Sean, right? Yeah, that was... Sean, our website builder, came up with this idea for us. It was a great idea. It was. And you guys had a conversation. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, When we were working on the website, we were doing one of these fancy Zoom calls, just talking about what would work well. And I said, in all of this, we haven't asked you what your greatest... What would you pick as the greatest music and he looked at me and he goes can i pick something odd and i was like yeah absolutely and he said well i think hamilton as a musical piece is great i was like "Ooh, i would have never thought to dip into musical theater to find great music oh man i would have i would have i loved my days going to see musicals and plays when we lived in new york there's some really good oh, ones out you there were in new york what which ones did you see Oh, almost all of them. We had friends that worked on Broadway, so we got to go in. Ah, nice. Because uh, they do reviews, you know, during Tony season. So they give away a lot of free tickets and perks to the people who write the reviews and things like that. You know, you butter them up a little bit. Um, and they're like, ah, I've seen it like eight times. Do you want the tickets? I already know what I'm writing. It's <laughs> be like, uh, yeah, 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 I'll do that. And they were usually pretty decent seats. You know, you're not in the spit row. You know, up front or anything, but, you know, definitely like first mezzanine center. Uh, really good, really good seats. So good can see spot everything. to take in everything and see all the movement and catch the whole stage and see the ins and outs and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. These are solid like $200, $300 a piece tickets. Wow. You know? So, hmm. yeah, I got to see Green Day's American Idiot a few times. Even got to go to the after party and meet Green Day. Had had a good time there, a little bit too much to drink, said some stupid things to some important people, <laughs> but that's me. <laughs> Were they really that important? Well, I mean, a lot of people could argue that Green Day is one of the, the, the more important rock bands of our time, I believe. Yeah, some some could say that. I mean, that was my <laughs> first concert um, way back in, I think, 94, so they've been around for quite some time. There's yeah. not too many other bands that have come out in the 90s that are still relevant. There's some that are still around, but some that are not as relevant. Yeah. I would argue they're not as relevant as they used to be. Sure. You know, um, I think there's there's this point that comes up in a lot of bands' time where they, they're in their mid to late 30s. And they decide this is the time I'm going to take a stand on something. And their music shifts to this very political whatever they decide to put their foot in the ground about. And uh, that's usually a make or break point for a lot of them. 
Um, I, you know, Green Day did that when they came out against George Bush and all of that, right around the time they started their musical. Uh, Bruce Springsteen lost a lot of people when he went against uh, what was going on in politics at some point along the way. I can't remember. I just remember my dad going berserker about it. Well, he, um, I think he jumped in with um, Barack Obama, didn't he? I believe he played... Because they have a podcast together. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. They're pretty tight. I, I think they're stealing a lot of our listeners. Probably. And, just, and just on namesake alone, I mean, what does Barack Obama know about music that we don't know about music? Let's be honest. Right? Here. It's just two dudes talking into microphones about stuff. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. It's the same just... thing. We're on the same level. <laughs> we are, man. We are right there with them. I tell you what, they don't have they don't have a nostalgia monster. No. Nope. And they, they don't have warm fuzzies and nope. they don't have the man. Nope. They are the man. They are the man. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so we're doing musicals. Have you seen any musicals? Other than high school musicals, um, and not the TV show. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, some some musicals in high school, and then a couple. Let me see here. I saw some at Harrisburg Area Community College. I'm trying to remember which one that was uh, that I saw there. And then, oh, there was a little theater. Where was that one theater? It was up in the north end of Harrisburg. It was a little community theater, and I know I went up there for, and I don't even remember the what theater. It, what are you talking about? The Players Theater? Yeah, I think it was the Players yeah. Theater, up um, Division or past there, up where the um, the TV stations are. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, yeah, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about because I worked at the school back there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what it's called, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. My mom's coworker. I think it was actually her boss. I don't know. She she was a participant in that. And, uh, yeah, we saw one of her shows up there. Um, outside of that, no. Maybe a few church uh, <laughs> productions. Um, but... Uh, you know, we'll we'll let those ones slide. I think, and I think that's what it is. Like outside of Broadway and major big cities, the churches have co-opted the the play and skit genre, and have by and large hokified the thing. If that's even a word, you know. <laughs> Can like, you define hokified for me, please? A bunch of underqualified overproduced shows about cliche things. Okay. It's, it's like the, it's like cheap bubblegum pop of the, of the play world, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I'm not saying that in a mean way. There's a lot of things that go into it because like, you know, like we talk about these mega stars like Taylor Swift and Beyonce and Ewan McGregor who start in one genre and then branch out to another and branch out to another one. And soon they can sing and dance and act and write and speak and all of these things. And damn it, that's what people on Broadway do twice a day, every day. And it just it blows my mind to like how. How less used they are if that makes sense like why why aren't there more shows happening like why isn't this a more uh attended form of art you know hmm. like i feel like con concerts are way more popular um because cost wise they're not too far off like no. i just bought dead and company tickets and i thought i was going to pay like 50 60 bucks for a ticket no no i i didn't <laughs> like that double didn't that even, it no, not even double that. Triple that for a a, a somewhat Ooh. cheap seat. Like I think I could have got Ouch. double that if I was in the back of Hershey Park Stadium, but I like picked like middle like area. Like sitting in the grass bringing your own lawn chair kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you want to sit in the grass and bring your own lawn chair, they started at 300 bucks. Like if you wanted to be middle front like in front of the sound tower, it started at 300 bucks. Yeah. Man. Um so what I'm saying, like Broadway, why isn't it more popular? Like these are some of the best of the best entertainers in the world. Like they do it all. They dance, they act, they sing. 
And they don't generally write a lot of it. I was trying to think of how to talk about this when I was going to the mill today. But like when you listen to a concert, like I was thinking about Chris Stapleton, you know, it's in a way easier for him to emote and to to get the feeling across of a song that you write yourself because you knew what you were thinking about while you were writing it. And it has something personal to you. But these people on Broadway get up with a piece of paper and like have to read the words and say, oh, all right. Yeah, I got this. I got this. This is what it's like to have a kid in the 1600, you know, in the 1700s that's about to die. And uh, all right, I'm singing these words. OK, let me make this real, <laughs> you know. Right. And, and it's like you've got to act it real. You've got to sing it real, like let alone just talk it real, you know, but your body position has to be a certain like these people don't get enough credit in the in the grand scheme of entertainment i feel like it's, yeah i think it's a very high art it's a it is. it's a very high niche art and i think that may be why it takes a, a special person to be able to to nail all, check all those boxes off yeah. you know i was thinking right in the middle where you were talking the only other place i know that this sort of same thing happens is amusement parks when you go to like the shows that they have, and they're usually okay. some sort of like songs of the seventies or Hokified, whatever. man, Hokified. Yeah. Or, <laughs> That's it. Or um, that band that puts on the Hawaiian shirts and plays all like Beach Boys songs in the food court. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is insanely hard to do, like not mocking them in any way. Like it is hard to get up when nobody cares what you're doing and continue to deliver. Like those guys, I don't feel like get enough credit either. No, not credit for being amazing artists, but it's a ball buster to stand up for hours. That's and a tough Nobody job. cares. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And the people that do care are like the three and four year old kids that just dance around because it's music anyway, you know? Or that one middle-aged lady that works at Lowe's and has a season pass, and she drives up there every weekend because that's what she does for fun. Yeah. We actually have a lady here in town that that's what she does, and she gets to know all the performers, and she bakes brownies, and she just goes up, and she's, like, super nice to these kids. but And she come, becomes, like, a park mom for them, but she's a guest, and she's going there for fun. She's actually paying to be there. Yeah. That's weird stuff. Paying to be there. Oh, yeah. Paying to be in the room where it happens. And unlike the people in the food court, this is a musical where people actually want to be a part of it. So much so, do you know more about what they were doing with the tickets? So you said tickets were expensive. Oh, yeah. To to Broadway shows. Did you ever see Hamilton? No, I never saw Hamilton, although I'm thinking about going to see it. Um Broadway opens back up in September. Um, and if you want like a front row seat in September on a Friday night, you're in the 300s a seat. Yeah, to Hamilton for sure. Wow. Yeah. I was expecting more. Uh, well, maybe. I mean, it's by the time I got on there, uh, that's where it was at. So maybe the, the, the spit row is already gone, which would be the most expensive. You know, like those first three or four rows. Yeah, see, I don't think I would want to be right up front like that. I want to be back just a little bit so I don't have to head tilt the whole night. I want to be able to just have it all right there, peripheral vision. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when you're on a roller coaster, you know, like each one of those seats has its own advantages and disadvantages, like each bit of the... Yeah, you know, and it's just how do you want to experience what's about to happen? And I think you're right. Like, I think the vast majority of the people want to be back a little bit in the center. Oh, and people um, have preferences, and too. And it's, it's interesting, too, because, like, you and I are sound guys. You know, you sit in the dead center of the room, and that's how you mix. You know, like, that middle seat in the middle of the room is where the sound is made to be heard. You know, um, but some sets and some plays like are purposefully set out. So like if you're mm -hmm. on this side, like you're going to have a better view than the people on the far side and vice versa and yada, yada, yada to kind of combat that sort of idea. Um, or you could go see the Lion King and be sitting right behind a pole and not get to see anything. That sounds like personal experience right there. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't stick around for that one. <laughs> Those were bad seats. Why would they even put seats behind a pole? Because people buy them. 
That doesn't make any sense. What? Because they sell all the seats at concerts that are way back there where you can't see anything. Well, know? and everybody just pushes their way up front. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Are you that kind of guy? No, I don't. Dude, I'm, I am such a rules person when it comes to things like that. No, this is my seat. This is where I'm supposed to be. I don't like minor league baseball games and things like that. I don't even like skip down a row or anything. I, my internal compass flips out if I do that. If nobody else is there, yeah, move up, man. That's no big deal. If the game started and there's nobody else, move on up. No way. No one's going to say anything. (laughs) But they... They have this program for Hamilton, or at least they did, where they were given the tickets away to, well, they had, um, what is it, scholarships and funds to get a, tickets for cheap for students and everything to experience. But then they also did the daily giveaway, didn't they? I think Lin-Manuel, he, he handled that for the majority of the time that he was Alexander Hamilton on Broadway, right? Every day going out there and doing a mini performance. Yeah, that's not too uncommon. Like, a lot of Broadway productions do things like that because it's a sales pitch as well. Oh. You know? hmm. um, so yeah, I've never Not really... trying to say their heart is that way, but... Oh. It... I, I, from the few clips I've seen, it looked like he, he really cared about it. Like, it wasn't just him, this is a part of the job, you go out and do it. It looked like he was out there because he was enjoying himself. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, I feel like this is his this is his baby. Like there's oh, no if ands or buts about it. And he deserves that credit. I mean, the dude spent two years writing the first two songs of what he thought was gonna be this big epic mixtape, like studio album of stuff based on Alexander Hamilton because he bought a book while he was going on vacation. <laughs> like that's something like you own that, <laughs> you yeah. know? Starting off, yeah, f- with that idea, I wonder how he got to the process of this. This could be a musical, like because that that just doesn't connect with me. But I know he does have ties to. Is that other one that's just coming out as a movie? Was that a musical before? I believe this so. one that was his prior work than this. Yeah, I I am so out of the loop on a lot of this. I know he worked in Broadway for a while and has done different parts and plays and all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I know his, a lot of the back research that I was reading, like he didn't write this originally to be a Broadway musical. This was going to be a, a mixed compilation CD about Alexander Hamilton, <laughs> which, you know, like parody whatever it happens to be like it's something and somewhere along the lines i'm sure somebody is like you know like hey 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 (laughs) you know like we could make this into something um and they went along for the ride and i'm glad they did like i feel like i know more history because of this than i remember from i think i was in third grade when we studied the american revolution yeah i i was very loose on all of this stuff and i know there was a there's debate back and forth of the liberties that were taken. But I think the overall expression when it comes to the people that actually know the history, they said, this is getting young people excited about history and where our nation came from and the great works of uh, many people, the founding fathers and all that kind of stuff. So, um, we'll we'll let him make up a love story in the middle, just so this doesn't become a dying thing. Yeah, yeah. I I personally like in my brain like reference it between a you know based on actual events and uh, an autobiography, if you will. Like it, it to me falls somewhere in between those two things. Like it's it's way more factual than the based on actual events type things, but mm-hmm. it's not. As factual as a, a history book. Yeah, it kind of fluctuates back and forth depending yeah. on what, what stories you're talking about. Yeah, but I feel like the vast majority of this, at least from what I was doing the research online, and he had he had historians and, and biographers like fact-checking him most of the way through. Um, you know, so I believe that this is by and large reliable, you know. Um, some of the things that I know for sure were taken for liberty were the feral Tom, like, Martha Washington naming the feral tomcat. Like, yes, she did have a feral tomcat. She called Thomas Jefferson. Was it 
or she called Jefferson. Was it actually Thomas Jefferson for that reason? Who knows? But it is a fun story. And there is a correlation there, but there's no proof. Like, there was a lot of those things in there, so... So it wasn't Hamilton that was named after the cat. It was Jefferson? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that was a slip of the tongue there. Okay, good. So, hmm. So he called him Hamilton. Yeah. Interesting. I thought that was just a joke for the musical. No. No. Uh, David or David Diggs. I'm terrible on these names. I should have looked Oh, yeah. Up. He's David. That played, it's David. That he played Lafayette and he played Thomas Jefferson. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think that's why the slip was in there. I think he he brought this and and the style of rap he was able to pull off for this to a whole other level. Like to me he was he was the the boom for me in some of this. That uh Guns and Ships. Sorry, not that I'm just diving right in here, but uh cannonballed right in. Yeah, dude. Um well, because I had the slip and it was definitely, he's on, he's on my mind a lot. Like that's one of the, the three or four songs that I definitely want to keep in my rotation from this just because I don't know what he's saying and I can't do it. And I consider myself a fairly decent singer. Um, but the dude is doing a little over six words uh, a minute throughout the entire song or six words a second, which yeah, just get your mind wrapped around that. That's six words a, lot a second. Of words. At the fastest point in the song, for three seconds straight, he is doing 19 words a second. That's nearly 100 words in three seconds. I can't even get my mind wrapped. Or, or no, that's not. Hold on. 20 times three is 60. Sorry. So. Um, and, and the other thing about this, I'm just sort of. Scr- I have. I use Amazon Music, and they have a thing with all the lyrics on it. And it's not him just doing a rap song that he made up talking about whatever he wants. No. This is using history and, I mean, I'm looking at ingenuity and fluid in French, I'm, you know, and he's using big words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I'm pretty sure that was a, a Lin-Manuel thing on, he's a smart guy for one, and then just, intentionally writing this way so it has that flavor of feeling like old english i think mm-hmm. was pretty smart too yeah i can't even imagine that and then he did it in a french accent as well whether it was a good french accent or not we'll we'll let that one slide dude it worked for me yeah he's walking with his butt across a table doing 19 words a second not missing a beat like twice a day all of this with like 10 layers of costume on it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Um, yeah. And then you contrast that with Lynn manuel who I'm not hating on this guy. I'm not hating on him at all. But he's he is definitely, 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 he is the Jerry Seinfeld of this cast. <laughs> he is the mastermind. He's the smart guy. But he is the least qualified to actually have the camera in his face when it's all said and done. When it comes to musical performance. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a good rap game in it. Because I was listening to the one song that stuck out to me. It was Helpless. I think it was it Helpless or what? Oh, man. There's so many songs that it's hard. Um, The whole thing is songs. I know. Well, it's just one after another. And it's hard to keep. And. Sing a little bit. It's the one where he's going back and forth. I don't know any of the words (laughs) other than the really catchy things. He's going back and forth with um, the lady who does Eliza. And he's like, she sings it and she's got a beautiful voice. And then he just sort of wraps it back to her. (laughs) And his, his melody line is almost monotonous in it and it was mm-hmm. just like yeah you, you, no she could sing circles around you no problem all three of those women i think wow. they were the highlight singing wise in this performance yeah. for me well geez i mean hold on what's her name uh sorry i have all their names written down because i'm not as familiar with the ladies renee elise goldenberry burry Gold's- gold goldsbury. goldsbury yeah she does um without a doubt In my opinion, yeah. Yeah, Angelica Schuyler. Best singer of all of them. 
all mm-hmm. of them. And she has the uh, that satisfied is sort of her big her big bit there, dude. And she holds down the fort. She raps, she sings, she does vocal runs up and down, then talks a line, then sings again, then rap like. I don't think people realize how hard it is to do that. Like to, to sing and to have your body ready to sing is very different than to have it ready to speak or to have it rap or to have it dance for that Mm -hmm. matter on a spinning stage. Like the amount of control it takes from your torso just to create the space for your muscles within your diaphragm and your lungs to work properly, to contract your throat in the correct way. And then to alter all of those patterns. So, I mean, it is, and she kills it. She kills it. I think it. that was, for the first half of the first act, that was definitely the best. What And I think that was the first point where, like, rap really sunk in. Everything else was, like, talking, kind of. It wasn't necessarily a rap. It was just them conversing musically. If that makes sense, it was it <laughs> yeah, was yeah. different. There was more acting than yeah. than music. It was more yeah. of this conversation, and they were saying it in a rap like way. It wasn't actually rapping. I think she actually rapped to this. Not that two white guys <laughs> can really define what rapping is, but for true that <laughs> for for me that that song because that's the eleventh song then. And the part where I got confused earlier is some of these songs, they like switch in the middle to like a, there are two things happening in the song and it only Mm -hmm. is labeled the one thing. But yes, I thought, and so, okay, this was, Satisfied was great for me as well because they did a rewind. I don't Mm -hmm. know of any other musicals, I'm not that versed, you may know more, but that's a movie technique. To go back and do a flashback, and normally they're like completely pulled out and then set apart. You know, when a a musical or a play is going to do a flashback, it's like we change the set, we make it completely look different, so you know we're here. And they just went rewind, rewind, and they retold the story from a different perspective without losing the momentum of the story. I thought was. Spectacular! I think that was one of my favorite overall arcing storylines inside the big picture of the, the musical as a whole. It was just like that was brilliantly done just to see both sides because we just got Eliza's helpless and then we got uh, Angelica's satisfied back to back. And that was the part that really struck me is they were back to back. It was like, you got one, two. It wasn't mm-hmm. later in the show. Oh yeah. We flipped back to that part that happened way earlier in the show, which would have been a lot easier to much do, easier, you know? but yeah. they were like, no, they got a lot of flack for that. Like when, it, when the musical first opened up, cause yeah, I guess that's a no, no in, in this genre. If to you flashback? Will. like you don't do that. Yeah, like rewinding things. Yeah, it definitely it got nicked by the. But that's uh, a hip hop uh, thing too, like with scratching. It and is all of that. So that was another layer where it was just like, oh, that's a throw to the music mm-hmm. that they're staying inside of or being inspired yeah. by. Yeah, I liked those two songs back to back to me because they were they were actually in my mind both helpless. If for lack of a better way to say it, they mm-hmm. were just named differently. Like both of these women are are like nearly helpless, I guess, in the sight of Hamilton. He must have been a really good looking dude. I don't know. But or it was just made up for this show. I don't know. But like the the way that they they tell the story of these two sisters being in love with the same man is is it's great because you don't it doesn't cause any uneasiness with you toward any of the characters. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't pin one of them against the other. It doesn't make you dislike this one or that one. And it doesn't make you feel like Hamilton, some sort of ass, you know, like it, I thought that was really well done because it's really, I think would have been really easy to take it into you know, a very misogynistic or a chauvinistic sort of point of view or pin the two ladies. Like, I feel like that would have been the easy way to do this part of the story, but they didn't do that. And it was really great. Um, I guess, cause he's stealing from real life. So you can't really just make stuff sure. up. Well, I, and I think time. satisfied was he, they couldn't have done a better job at explaining that out of, 
she's explaining yeah. and that's a classic storytelling thing of the the one person has honor and family heritage and all these and that's funny how that that even was still here like we don't think of that too much anymore in in 2021 of like oh uh, we have to well i guess maybe i don't know but it's it's definitely waned in the mm-hmm. we have to carry on this lineage of our ancestors because that's our job because i'm the oldest kid but i think that ju- the three points and they break in those down is just like these are the three things i can't do that so i'm gonna i'm gonna let it slide yeah hmm. i think anymore we we have family ideals you know there's definitely a wing of of our faith in christianity that to the fault and to the negative runs that direction. You know, because I am this, I am blah, 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 blah. And I am going to hold it against you. And I am better than you because of this, you know, kind of thing. So I think it, it, it has lived on just in its own sort of way. Um, Hmm. Yeah. But I say that because I don't know if you uh, ever, or if your brain went back to it, but Mike Pence went to see this show uh, in 2016, do you happen to remember that at all? Oh, didn't they stand up and uh, address him some way, and then Trump got all offended or something? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the simpl- it started oversimplified with... Andy version of it. Yeah, it started actually not with the cast. It started with a lot of the people that were actually there to see the show booed him and wanted him to leave. Immediately, because this was also the height of a lot of the immigration things when they started putting the kids in the cages at the camp at the border and all of that. Um, But I think so. Leslie Odom was out of the show by this point in 2016. So Aaron Burr was actually played by Brandon Dixon. Uh, He was the second cast uh, man ever to play Aaron Burr. Sir. Um, I know. Right. Sir always came after Burr. That. I liked that and hated that all at the same time, sir. Yeah. It, it was a rhyme scheme. It was a cadence that they were always getting to, sir. Yeah. I had, and I had, I didn't I didn't look into that enough, but Hamilton always addressed Burr as sir. In the, in the first half, at least 90% of the times I can think of, it was always he always called Aaron Burr sir. Like even at his wedding, that's when it first caught my attention. Because why is he calling Aaron Burr sir at his own wedding? Like I thought that was weird. So I think there might be something to that that I just didn't really ever pick up on completely. But it happens a lot. Hmm. But anyway, so during the middle of this, uh, he said uh, Aaron Burr addresses Vice President Pence. And he says, we, sir, are sir alarmed. Yes. I think, we, it, I think it was that was very intentional, too. Because I yeah. read through what he said to him and it was very much in the same style as it. They, he was in the character saying this, but it wasn't. Oh, that's a genius. I didn't even get that far. Uh, he says, we are alarmed and anxious that your new administration will not protect us, our planet, our children, our parents, or defend us and uphold our inalienable rights. Um, and it just really got me thinking, like, how would these founding fathers, these ideals, like, how strongly did these men who were actually way richer than you and I will ever be, own way more land, have way more position and power, how how much did they actually hold these values, these inalienable rights, and yada, yada, yada? Uh, or was there, like, in today's world, this like political backing to I get more of this, 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 and this if we have this, this, and this. So did they just want America so they didn't get taxed so they would be richer? Or did they really want, for, like, was freedom a guise mm. for their increased gain? And that was just something I was thinking about. Like That was a conversation um, we had with Sean, too, a while back, who recommended this. We were reading a book together, and they was talking about Abraham Lincoln, not to, mm-hmm. to get too far off a different founding father, I guess, but it, but still a founding yeah, father. That he, on the five dollar, <laughs> he's a five dollar father. Is he the five? He's a he, penny. He's, I know yeah. that. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I derailed yeah, that. Keep did. going. But um, the emancipation of slavery wasn't really a thing that he was 
It wasn't a principle that he was putting his foot in the ground for. It was a thing he was putting in the ground because that was the thing that was going to move things forward, especially for him. It was a political yeah. move. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. I I I hadn't really put that one together here. I'm gonna have to think about that one. About how much was was this to get ahead to do your thing, but. At some point, it was, actually, this stuff kind of benefits us. Yeah, because, I mean, Thomas Jefferson owns a ton of Virginia. And when I say a ton, I mean more than any human has ever owned a piece of Virginia. This dude owned Virginia, and he's writing about the inalienable human rights. Well, he brought people over in ships <laughs> to to do his work. Like, it's interesting to me, like, when I, you know, you take a step back, and then I hear, you know, like, you know, what are, what are these inalienable human right? And like, is that true? Or are we just using mm-hmm. it? Because, I mean, both sides use the same words for very different means and ends. But we don't know what the backbone behind those means and ends are, you know? Sure. like No taxation without representation. Hell yeah, I'm for that. Like, me, Joe, blue collar worker. But like, the guy, like, the people who own Amazon, like, imagine if Amazon didn't get taxed they'd be fighting like hell to not get taxed, you know, like they, they are in many ways, um, you know, skirting tax issues and things like that. But like, imagine if you own a large corporation and you have the opportunity not to be taxed, I'll send some other people to die for that idea. You know, like that's easy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'll just tell them this story instead, you know, um, I don't know. And then all of that to get to my favorite character, of the first act, who is King George? Hands Crazy down. Crazy freaking the I best know! character, maybe even of the entire, th- I well, of the entire music. It's so hard to say, yeah. right? You know? I, but per capita, right? You how you totaled it up nine minutes. Nine minutes? He, he's in this, this three hour play for nine minutes. Grand slam home run if you're into sports metaphors for nine minutes. And this thing is three and a half hours. And to leave yeah. that impression that we think he's probably the best character with only being on for nine minutes. And my favorite, well, oh man, uh, is it Josh? Uh, Josh Groff. Groff. Or Jonathan Groff. Yeah, Jonathan. Is that who you're talking yeah. about? I, I was like, he sounds so familiar. He's Kristoff from Frozen. I didn't put those two <laughs> things together. The musical voice, yeah. Yeah, he didn't. But I guess Kristoff was a voice that he was doing. Uh, uh, slightly off of his own or this was in his english accent as well man there's so many good little moments like him just getting the spit on his lips when you I and know. then you're just like oh and my favorite part was he goes and i'll be blue and he stops <laughs> and the lights are all red and he looks and he stomps his foot and the lights all turn blue and then he just and then he just goes back right into the song. Now the recording doesn't <laughs> have it in there, but if you have the opportunity to watch the the uh, film version of the musical that was in there and it was just a magical little there was only a couple times where they broke and gave the audience a thing. Yeah, like a quick wink or yeah, nod, you know? there was another one I was just listening to, and I don't remember which song it was. Uh, it might have been Yorktown, and Lin-Manuel was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? that's my, I love that, too. I wrote that down to talk about. Yeah, because that's when no, Aaron Burr comes to his wedding, and he's like, why didn't you bring your girlfriend? He's like, oh. Uh, it's unlawful. She's married to a British officer. And he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like oh, and it was deep. so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a couple. Of, like, I love when they're like, when, or uh, maybe it's the second act and we shouldn't talk about it, but they're like, uh, when him and Lafayette say, we are immigrants, we get the job done. Yeah. And then they both look back over their shoulder and wink at the crowd. Like, hell yeah. So yeah. good. Like, there are a ton of little things. But specifically, like, Jonathan's performance the dude nails like, like boy maintaining sing. psychotic crazy face at the same mm-hmm. time. Like, like it was like La-la-la-la. I think about the Joker. 
Yeah, you know, like it, it did. It put me in the mindset of like Batman oh. and the Joker, like Heath Ledger's yeah. character, but not as dark, you know, like, um, but like you can tell that just below the surface, this dude's a little crazy, you know, like, um, and he captures like the spitting, which is normal for Broadway singers because of enunciation and all that, but like nails like an over amount of spit, you know, just to get that, like King George was known for foaming at the mouth as he got older, like, cause he got sick and all of this. Did not know that um, one either. So another, yeah. look, man, he dug deep with this. He did. He went way into this character and it's not that, and we keep saying that all of these other characters go way deep as well. well I'm they just, just go Lin- deep Lin- in well in the making of all of this. He, oh yeah. How how long? Not to lose the point on King George. We'll get or yeah, the king, but we'll get back there. How long did it take him? I I don't know. I know it took him two years just to get the first two songs, and I don't know what came together after that. I didn't really look at that because that was what 2008, and the musical yeah. didn't well, hit till 2015. And I know he was, I watched an interview where they said the one song was written like a week and a half before opening day. Yeah, there was some stuff he, like they didn't even have keyed up for prompters and stuff. He hand wrote it out for the for the actors to read and sing as they were finishing up production. Yeah, like it was cool. He wrote the, the uh, You'll Be Back, which is like, which is the King's big song. He wrote it on his honeymoon. <laughs> with his wife <laughs> like so wrote, wrote it down in his notebook yeah like how cool like he wrote a lot of these songs on the trains um he got to stay in really cool historic buildings um like i didn't know the oldest building in new york i used to go by on my way to work every day like i was always like i wonder what that crazy old building is but then i looked up the address when i was reading about this i was like oh you know george washington stayed there during battles and stuff like because it's it's really out of place in Manhattan. Like when you see this really old house by all these side rises, you're kind of like, what just like a place? log cabin chilling in the middle of New York city. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not log cabin, but yeah, it's, it's definitely period, you know, like it's, you look at it and you're like, that's definitely something, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, so like he stayed there for a while to write some of it. He was allowed to be in museums to like sit and get in character for ideas. Like, that's crazy. I mean, places that most people don't ever get to like actually be a part nope. of. Nope. That's wild. I mean, how do you how do you get that job? <laughs> how you get lucky? Yeah, you know? I guess. Uh, I think some of the the best written stuff was the King's line too. I love. So he does it in his whole song, which is a reflection, which is the whole musical, which is a reflection of musicals as a whole. The callback or the bring back or the playing on themes and motifs. Um, yeah. I think it was just brilliantly done in this entire musical as a whole. But just in his song, it was, um, <laughs> yeah, when push comes to shove and then he goes into his next lines. And so the first one, it was like, I'll send a fully armed battalion to show my love. And then, then to remind you of my yeah, love. And then yeah. the next one is uh, when push comes to shove, I will kill your family, your friends and family to remind you of my love. <laughs> I mean, it's so good. Yeah. And then he, uh, da, 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 da. and the other great piece is the motifs, as I mentioned before. This sounds like a 60s Brit pop song. And that makes mm-hmm. so much. It's like, oh, yeah, England, duh, King of England. Let's, that makes so Let's much. Let's throw that in there. There's so much yeah. sense where, and I think particular characters had sounds and i know i i told this to you outside of us recording and whatever but i noticed um george washington there there was always a very um they always used sounds that were from early early rap music there was like scratching sounds and just whatever sound effects like certain hits like that like I know yeah. you know that if I would play the exact hit, I know what you're you saying. Go, yeah. Oh, that's a that's an old rap song hit. You know, mm-hmm. um, he put me in the mind. A lot of his songs reminded me of Puff Daddy or P Diddy. I don't know who he happens to be. Yeah. You know anymore? Sean but Puffy especially, Combs. yeah, especially the the Here Comes the General reminded me of um, uh 
Dang it, I should have written it down. It was from, he did it for a movie, but the the Led Zeppelin song. Come with me. Yeah, but he did it, come with me. Yeah, uh, uh, but that's what it reminded me of, like that rapping over top of that those string hits, um, because it wasn't Led Zeppelin, because the, the lyrically and melodically didn't make sense. But I was like, I know I've heard this before, even if it's not the same. There was thing. a bit of a Rage Against the Machine feel in there. It was like okay, the, yeah, like the driving rockness over mm-hmm. top of it, and I think that was a I that was a thing Lin Manuel fessed up to several. Uh, very specific songs that he mm-hmm. grabbed from and stole from Notorious B.I.G. As you said, Beyonce. I think that the King stuff was very much like monkeys, kind of that Britpop stuff. And I think, I think it was Rage Against the Machine. That's that was that's where I would place my okay. bets. And, and I know there was sure, twi- I could live with there that. was Twitter conversations. I saw this in one article where people were like. In this song, at this timestamp, did you was this your influence? And a lot of times, Lin Manuel would come back and say, "You got me," or um, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, maybe even subconsciously." And so I think it runs way deep. With how deep he went in to the characters, like the foaming of the mouth of the king, just as an example, how deep they went in the character development. I think he went that deep into the musical development as well. Yeah. And I mean, especially when you have top notch musicians like he had for this show, like pit musicians for Broadway musicals don't get enough credit. Like, I mean, it's the same group of people down there playing all those genres of music, doing all those different time signatures, playing in all those different styles. Like, you know, it's when you've got the tools to do it, why the hell not? (laughs) You know, like if you've got a guitarist that can do everything from flamenco to backstreet bluegrass and banjo playing, why not? Why not play all of those different things? (laughs) You know, I think I mentioned this to you in one of the first times I heard it, the snare drum sounds alone in this. They must have been using triggers and, sa- oh, and yeah, sound they patches because with the different types of sounds throughout this entire thing, there's no way they could have just done that with one set. They had to have been playing oh, an no. electric drum set or oh, yeah. had a very, they could have had a regular drum set and with theirs. I mean, just so much stuff. Yeah, yeah, and they were all good snare sound. Like they were, they were true. Like for that genre of music, mm-hmm. that is the snare they sound. You the want. Like a rock and roll snare is not going to work for hip hop, you know. And a hip hop snare is not going to have any sort of presence in a heavy driving song. Like, yeah, I I heard that too. I love the that classic eight oh eight drum sound mm. and all. Yeah, so many. Like I said, just little hits and and sound effects brilliant yeah yeah and so many different types of scratches too like they didn't just use like you know like the old icky you know that was in there but there was like true like pool scratch like even modern scratch sounds they were they were grabbing and throwing in there it was it's impressive like the amount of stuff that goes into pulling this off is way bigger like when you think about it just as a recording it's not as impressive but when you think they're doing it live that's when it gets like the amount of production that goes into it is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I wonder how big that pit would was. There had to be a. It wasn't that big. No, no, no it wasn't that big at all. Mm. Um, there was a lot of keyboards to make a lot of the different sounds. Okay. You know, like the strings weren't always live. Although I believe they had a string player, but they didn't have like a full orchestra pit. Like it was a very modern pit. Uh, if just sounds like it's a very modern pit <laughs> you know um so heavily relying on computers and keyboards to trigger stuff instead of yeah, actually having yeah. performers which yeah i i would imagine yeah i wouldn't know how much uh pit players get paid uh, but i would imagine depends on how good you are well yeah they were trying to keep the budget as low as possible i would imagine uh, the one other musical motif I have, if you if you don't mind me jumping in here, was yeah, I just have one other idea to close this. Uh, was the Skylar sisters, especially Eliza, was the piano, 
she yeah. always broke. It was always piano. When she was singing, the piano, it it might have been, it was the lead instrument in, because there was piano in pretty much a lot of stuff, like regular piano, piano sounds. But when mm-hmm. she was on stage and singing, it was primary up front, the, the driving instrument in her stuff. So I... I don't know if that was an intention. Well, I it had to have been an intentional thing, and yeah, that that's a fairly more common thing in musicals that there there's instruments associated with different characters. But yeah, yeah, it's it's true. This one, I think, because it's rap, made it a little less distinguishable for a lot of things. Just because, like, when you think of musical performances, you think about the instruments in rap, you think of more story and the talk. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it doesn't rely as much on the music, if that makes sense, or the backing tracks, if you will, or the samples, you know? So, yeah. So like, I think you're, I think you're spot on. The women always had a piano right in there. And it was the, it was the glue that was holding that song together from a musical point of view. Yeah. And I don't know if that was just, it, was a softer, more feminine thing to bring that out because there was so much in all the guys for the whole movie. It was just this grossly uh, testosterone, testosterone uh the San Francisco treat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds disgusting. I stole that. testosterone <laughs> Uh, but it was very male driven and it was competition and all of this stuff and the piano always stepped in as sort of a a calmness uh, a flowiness a, yeah a flow and it was always don't don't lose sight of your family and what you're doing as well Alexander your family is just as important as everything you're doing there um don't don't leave us out to dry, please. And and I don't think you could have wrapped that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, Andy. Yeah. So to close out round one here, because we're coming back a second time. I know which question you're going to ask me. Yeah. Do you want to ask it or do you no, want to No, go for it. It's your question. You thought of it. I didn't think of it. And after you told me, it makes so much sense. Yeah. And I, and I think it's a good thing for everybody just in general to think about. Like, are you are you Alexander? Are you Aaron? You know, which character are you? Are you the the go get it out front, I'm blazing my own path, or are you the one that's waiting for it and you're gonna be there when it needs to be, you know? Like which which human are you? Like what's your what's your archetype? Because um, one thing and I, I when I went back and watched it a second time, um if you watch their two characters and how they move around the stage Watch how Alexander Hamilton walks around the stage and watch how Aaron Burr walks across the stage. Um, don't know, not imposture or anything. Watch how they physically, the paths that they take around the stage. Just look at Ooh, it. Oh, I, watch I it didn't happen. notice that because Alexander Burr always had, was upright and had his arms behind his, mm-hmm. like tucked behind his, on his lower back in more of a like military postured we have to present ourselves which fits the character completely Mm -hmm. yeah and that archetype that they're going for yeah watch because he walks straight lines he doesn't bend dance around move places he walks in he walks out alexander hamilton walks in circles backward forward very here there and everywhere aaron burr is very direct walks the line walks out it's really interesting. Wow, like never picked up on that one. Going to have to watch yeah, it again. Yeah, just like another level to like how deep these are. So yeah, really, like what character are you? Like how how do you present in life? I think that's a really good question to think about because like you and I were both saying, there are times where we do both of these mm-hmm. things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there are some times where you're the go-getter and, you know, you're relentless in pursuing something. And there's other times you're waiting because you know it's going to happen and you're going to be there and ready for it when it does, you know? Um and that's the stage that they're sort of setting here, you know, what, you know, um, you know, are you satisfied and how do you get to that satisfaction, you know, is the big question. Yeah. And I would say even if Lin-Manuel wasn't playing Alexander Hamilton, just it seems like he is an Alexander Hamilton. I mean, he wrote this whole musical. He spent six years busting his hump. 
to make this thing a real thing. So when you were talking about that earlier, and I had this a little more of this thought um, the other day too, this is almost a reflection of himself, I think. I think that's why he attached it so much to, you know, he caught on to it so much. He saw himself reflected in the the hustle and the just doing and getting it done and speaking your mind and don't care. And from what I've seen of Lynn manuel I think he just saw, this is him, as much as it is about Hamilton. Could be. Could be. That's my that's my thought. I would say though, if I had to answer that question, I would be. I think I'm more of an Aaron Burr. In the sit back, wait for the things, waiting on other people. I think so. I mean, there are moments where you have to step up and you have to pursue things and you have to do them hard. But I think as a whole, is it. Your your default yeah. character. It's letting life happen to you instead of you going out and make life happen. Is that a different way to say it? Yeah, I think that's one way to think about it. It's a pretty open-ended question, you know? Like, it's just... Yeah, it's it's two archetypes, you know? Mm-hmm. How, how do you do this? How do you go about it? Where do you it? fall? You're going to have to wait for it for next week. Oh, you're, you're... Okay. Because life doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints, my friend. It just takes and it takes and it takes. And it takes and it takes. Mm. So we'll see you in the future, everyone. Leave us some love on the the podcast sites. Uh, Tell Lin-Manuel we want to talk to him. We got some questions uh, and we want his answers. Any of these guys, really. I would like to hang out with any of them. Oh, I wanted to say that too. And And I thought this was so impactful. Uh, for me, and I'm still trying to digest it, that Leslie Oldham said the the biggest impact from this play for him was the scene in the beginning where all the guys are sitting around the table at a bar having a drink and just talking about life and having a good time. He said, I've never seen people of color portrayed that way. And I thought, oh my God, I haven't either. Portrayed that way in just... Movies in a show, and music and, and show and all that stuff because, I mean, they are, that's who they are as a people type. Uh, you know, you think about, oh man. Careful. I, I, I know we're walking some lines and, and it's all stereotypes and stuff, but uh, there are ethnicity groups that know how to hang out. I mean, you think about so many of... Like um, the heritage of different people. I know some Puerto Ricans that it's all family all the time. And it's we're hanging out and we're eating food. And the the grandma's in the kitchen making the the whatevers and all those things. And, and a lot of different heritage, they have that through the years. But that's not a bunch of dudes hanging out in a bar talking about life and freedom and portraying a better future. For oh, okay. I like see, the closest I see you're thing talking I about could... what they're them hanging out and what they're talking about, not them yeah. hanging out. Okay. I yeah, misinterpreted. Yeah. It's sort of the whole motif. Like the closest thing I could think of was, uh, Oh, what was, what was on TGIF with Urkel that show family like, matters. Yeah. Like that's the, like if I'm looking back and I, you know, I'm, I'm a white dude and all of that. Like, I don't get it. But I like that was really impactful to me that there here's a man pretty much my same age grew up in pretty much the same area like the same style of life I did you know same country same all of this and his takeaway was I have never seen people that look like me portrayed like that hmm. and and it just made me wonder you know um you don't count you know, the fast like, and furious movies <laughs> <laughs> No it's not that these are the good guys you know but it's yeah, it was it was really eye opening hmm. for me. Like this is what, like this was his takeaway, um, and that was huge to me because, to me, it was just like oh yeah, there's some guys at the bar, like, like, ah, but like, what have I missed? Like how much? But it's have not I partying in- and getting drunk and finding the lady, even though they hit on ladies. I loved <laughs> that throwback. That was such a great turnaround. Yeah. That was so good. Hey, hey, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, and too, like, I think part of what he was resonating with too is that there is, 
I mean, there was a very large African-American population that fought in this war, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, um, that I think gets a passing talk. Like, I think got a passing talk when I was in high school. Like, oh, yeah, there was also black people fighting in the war. Yeah. Like, next step. Um, so, yeah, like, it was just it, – it really has gotten my mind moving forward, like – you know, how far am I removed? Like how, like where are my biases actually in a lot of this, you know, like how much have I actually missed or taken for granted? Um, Hmm. So there, there was a special on Disney plus where they interviewed most of them. And I know uh, the lady who played Angelica, you already said her name, Goldsberry. I don't remember. Uh, she was talking about some deep stuff, and unfortunately, I don't have the memory to remember it. And then that David also got up, and they were, you know, talking about specific things of how this wasn't just a musical. This was so much more to open conversations about so many of these biases and and all these things that we have that we get in our corners, and we are with our tribe, and we. And we don't want to go outside of it. And this yeah. broke down a lot of those walls, at least in the musical theater world. Sure. And I think, for, uh, I mean, in a very small way, Ford, at least with me, like, I didn't even realize that was a bias or something. I had, Like, not a bias so much as something I didn't even realize was happening. Right. You know, which I think is a lot of... We can, that's a whole big theological conversation yeah. we could have in a different podcast yeah, at a different time. Yeah, I think time, just but... sometimes knowing things are out there and being aware of them is good enough. Yeah. It's a start. It's a start. Oh. So speaking of things that are out there that, uh, that it could use some attention and be noticed by people, how about hitting us up on the Apple <laughs> or on the Spotify or where else do you write about podcasts, Andy? Uh, well, let's see. I think there is... Um, I don't even remember what all the other ones. There is Apple, Spotify. There's a Google one. I, who, oh, there's Google. I don't know who all is listening. What doesn't Google have? Really? I don't know. I think you can just say Google for anything internet related. Oh, and be like, oh yeah, Anchor. Why not on Anchor? Oh. And speaking of Anchor, there is a fancy little button on our page. If it is within your budget and something you feel so inspired to do, there are monthly things to. Maybe help us out on the money side of things to make this thing keep going. If that's something yeah. you're into. And if you're not, no biggie. Just write us some reviews. We're, yeah, because we're seriously, we're just tickled pink that y'all are even listening yeah, it's, to the things that we have to say. I'm st- <laughs> so everyone, it's those times we sit down and we're like, people are listening to this. All right. All right. We'll keep talking. Cool. I got some more ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, how about other musicals that we think are oh. great? I, I I think most musicals are great. I think some easily approachable ones for people your and I's age. Um, I, and the easiest one to grab for, I think, is American Idiot, which was the Green Day. Which I've not seen a single lick of. Yeah, don't let your kids watch that. Um, but you could. like it, It's easily approachable because music-wise, it. I think you have the least amount of monsters to fight against there. It's an easy one to kind of walk in and feel comfortable with the music Mm -hmm. and the storyline's fairly easy to follow and is more relatable. Um, I think if you want to grab another musical, like easy one to do at home, um, not easy subject matter, but Les Mis, they did one a little while back with Hugh Jackman and, uh, Oh, it was the actual movie movie. Yeah. Yeah. They did an actual movie. Like, yeah, they shot it like a movie. It was, I mean, it stuck to the the musical itself. I watched a junior version of that. There's the college, one of the colleges here in town does a like a yeah. the junior version, and that was actually really good. That was the first time I'd ever seen it, and it made yeah. me just want to know. Other than the cassette tapes that was stuck in my sister in law's Grandam uh, when I was a kid, and we <laughs> would only listen to the Lay Miss soundtrack because that's all we could listen to. But I want to know what uh, the people listening, what their favorite musicals are, or if there's one that yeah. really sticks out to them that's above the rest. Yeah, because it, it's definitely, it's a great art form that just gets overlooked here in middle America. Mm-hmm. So, All right. So I'll see you in the future. So we'll listen to part two, the second act, and we'll meet back here next week.
Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Ian. See you in the future. We'll see you in the future. <laughs>